Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Exodus, chapter 1. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. The Hyksos were Semitic people from the region of West Asia. These guys were foreigners. They were barbaric. They were invaders who, when they came into Egypt, they took over the land. And they actually took over the land pretty much without a fight. Now, because the Hyksos were Semitic and they were shepherd kings, they welcomed Semitic people and they welcomed shepherds, which then would explain why Joseph could rise to power as a governor. Remember, he was a shepherd. Well, that explains that. Well, the Hyksos were very intelligent. They were very skilled. They were very learned. It was during the reign of Joseph that they moved forward a lot of construction and growth and learning. It was during this time that Israel grew as a nation. And it's also during this time that Israel learned a lot about agriculture. They also learned about writing. They learned a lot about science. They learned a lot about geometry. They learned many things as they became a nation. Now you fast forward to the 18th dynasty. An Egyptian king named Amis. Amis. Taking notes. A-A-H-M-E-S. Amis came to power. And this is the king in verse 8 that knew not Joseph. King Amis. Now here's what happens historically as we fast forward a bit through history, okay? Here's what happens historically. Apparently, Egypt comes to power again and takes over. King Amis has a successor. His name is Thutmose II. Thutmose II. Thutmose II has a wife. Her name is Hatshepsut. No, I didn't sneeze. Hatshepsut is her name. Thamiz II, he dies suddenly, possibly in the Red Sea. He doesn't have a son that we know of, possibly because the angel of the Lord killed the firstborn. His wife, Hatshepsut, becomes Pharaoh, often wearing men's clothing, often pictured in illustrations with a beard. This woman has some issues. Girl, you got issues. <laughs> Wearing men's clothes, a beard in some of her pictures. She's a female ruler in Egypt, and she proclaims herself to be God. She reigned for 20 years. During those 20 years, there was peace, there was prosperity, there was building. She built an incredible, magnificent temple to herself. At some point, her stepson, the III, hated her and wanted to reclaim the throne. He led a revolt. He kills Hatshepsut and... 
Her shrines and statues are mutilated. It was at that time that Thutmose III, get this, he goes on a rampage in Canaan land because he thought that's where the children of Israel had gone. Instead, get this, the children of Israel, when they left Egypt, they made a right and they went into the wilderness. Thutmose III is in hot pursuit of the children of Israel. He thought they went into Canaan. He made a left and went into Canaan. So Thutmose now, he thinks that the children of Israel has gone into Canaan. He goes into Canaan and he completely, I mean, this was one bad dude. He completely wipes out the Phoenicians, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Amorites, all the other ites. He wipes them all out. And by the time the children of Israel get to Canaan, 40 years later, there are these small Canaanite cities with walls to protect themselves. That's why when the children of Israel got into the promised land to, to fight against their enemies, there were many, many walled cities. That's why, because they had sought to protect themselves because of Thutmose III, who came in and whooped them. And so they were protecting themselves. So by the time the children of Israel get there, the Canaanites are scared because they have been whooped by Thutmose III and they figure if he beats us and Israel beats him, we are really in trouble. Now keep in mind, from Egypt to Canaan was an 11-day trip. Do you realize that Israel could have been, they, they, it took them 40 years, you know that. They could have been in Canaan, enjoying the blessings and the promise and the fruitful land and the big old grapes and the land flowing with milk and honey, they could have been blessed beyond measure within two weeks. Coming out of Egypt, which Egypt is a type of the world. Within two weeks, it took them 40 years to get into Canaan. You know, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But I will. <laughs> you know, isn't it a picture of a lot of believers? Amen. We could, you could be in the promised land, enjoying the blessings of God, enjoying the fruitfulness of, of a walk that is spirit-filled. Because by the way, Canaan does not represent heaven. I know that we sing about Canaan land representing heaven, and especially a lot of old Negro spirituals. And they sound nice, but they're not biblical. Canaan does not represent heaven. Why? Because there's still enemies in the land. And the Bible says in heaven, there's no pain, there's no sorrow, there's no enemies in heaven. You understand that? Say amen. There's no enemies in heaven. But in Canaan land, there's still enemies, enemies to be driven out. So in type, Canaan cannot represent heaven. But Canaan in type represents the spirit filled life of the believer. Canaan represents the time in your life as a Christian where you could be strong in the Lord and walking with God and being used of God and enjoying the blessings of God. And that doesn't have to happen over a long period of time. It doesn't have to take you 40 years to enjoy God's blessings. But some folks just want to mosey on into the spirit filled life. Treating your Christianity as if, you know, well, I'm getting there. Man, if you want to be a strong Christian and used of God, you've got to be in hot pursuit of God. You've got to be in hot pursuit of the things of God. And, and, and I love to see Christians who, were, who just gave their lives to Christ and a year later they're strong in the Lord. 
And two years later, they're even yet stronger. And three years later, God's already calling them and using their lives. Remember Paul? Talked about in the book of Acts. Why is it we think, oh, you're a baby Christian when you're three? Look, look, the same principle does not really apply. Like, you don't have to go through, I mean, you do and you don't. Go through the baby, toddler, you know, little person, teen person, adult teen person, I think. Adult, you know, you know, you can go through that, spiritually, you can go through that process very, very quickly. And how do you get through it, Rodney? Your knowledge of the Word of God. And you're studying the scriptures and knowing God and walking with God and being in hot pursuit of the things of God. So it took Israel 40 years to accomplish something that they could have accomplished within two weeks. You understand? Say amen. Amen. So now I give you all this history about the Hyksos and the Egyptian kings. I give you all this history because the interesting thing, we talked about God's providence, how God is able to see everything, you know, as a whole. And, and, and we talk about God's providence. Now, now here you can see that, that God is always working behind the scenes. Check this out. Even while they were in Egypt, God was using that time of slavery and bondage in Egypt to teach his people, the nation of Israel, the things that they're going to need to know so that they can survive as a people. Isn't that amazing? So God is always, I guess I tell you that to tell you this, that God is always, always, always working behind the scenes, even when things seem bleak and even when things seem dark. There's a verse in the Bible, I love it, it's in Isaiah 59, verse 10, pardon me, in Isaiah 59, verse 19, and it says this, When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Isn't that a great verse? You see, God is always working behind the scenes. God is always using natural means for supernatural ends. And that's what the Bible says when it says that we know in Romans 8. We know, not we think, not we hope, not we pray, not we desire, but we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. God is always, always working saints behind the scenes. Always. So a king, look at verse 8, rose up who did not know Joseph. That king would be who? Amis, King Amis. And he said to his people in verse 9, look at verse 9. He said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come and let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us. And so go up out of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters, underline that, over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pythium and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. And so the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar, in brick, in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. Stop right there. Give me your attention. If you, in your own time, go to Numbers chapter 1, you will see 
go to Numbers chapter 1 in your own time, you'll see that there were 603,000 fighting men over the age of 20. If you add in the guys who are younger than 20, the guys who are older men, women, children, at this point in Israel's history, you have more than 2 million people coming out in the Exodus. Now, in the 18th dynasty, when King Ames I, he's afraid because the Hyksos kings were friendly, watch this, were friendly with Israel. And the Hittites were Egypt's enemies at that time. And so King Ames is thinking if the Jews join forces with their enemy, they're going to have a problem on their hands, a military problem. And so he comes up with an idea. He says, let's make them Fenchu. Fenchu. Spell it. F-E-N-C-H-U. Fenchu. He used Fenchu. The word Fenchu is Egyptian. And it means the bearer of the shepherd's staff or to make them slaves. Forced labor, hoping to reduce their population. He bought them into slavery, fearing that they might side and ally with their enemies. So he brought them into slavery. So the king said, let us deal wisely with them unless they get stronger. And so they set over them taskmasters. This word task, taskmasters can be translated gang overseers or gang masters. They set over them a bunch of thugs, gang members, if you will, gang overseers to afflict them and to serve with rigor. And they built supply cities, Pythium and Ramses. And then notice in verse 12, but the more they afflicted them, look at verse 12 again, the more they afflicted them, the more they grew and the more they multiplied. Did you get that? The more they afflicted them, the more they grew and the more they multiplied. Listen, saints, listen to me. This is a principle of God. This is a principle throughout all time and eternity. This is a principle throughout all of the scriptures. The more you are afflicted, the more you will grow. Now, I realize that this is certainly not a popular message. Because people are telling you, oh, no, Christians, they're not supposed to suffer. Christians should never suffer. If Christians are suffering, you must be in sin. You must not be believing God. You must not have faith. And they go on and on and on and on about Christians and suffering and affliction. Listen, the Bible is very clear. That teaching is false. That's another sermon. The Bible is very, very clear. The more you as a believer are afflicted, the more you grow. The more a person is persecuted or even a group of Christians, if they're persecuted, according to the principle of God, it won't hurt them. It will only make them stronger. You understand. Now, we're going through the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, over and over, you cannot miss this. Over and over in the book of Acts, the more the church is persecuted, the more the church continues to grow. You can't miss that. We've seen it in church history. Caesar Nero, if you've been around here, you know this. Caesar Nero persecuted 16 million Christians hoping to stamp out the church. And Christianity and the church 
continue to grow. Someone once said, the blood of the saints is the seed of the church. The blood of the saints is the seed of the church. You see, God uses persecution and rough spots to cause you to grow. And it makes you usable. And it makes you go further for God's glory. You know, some of you golfers will find this interesting. Listen to this. When they first manufactured golf balls, they made the cover smooth. Did you know that? And then it was discovered that after a ball had been roughed up, one could get more distance out of it. And so they started manufacturing golf balls with those dimples in it. Isn't that interesting? Okay, you don't think so? I do. (laughs) In other words, listen, if your life is smooth, you're only going to go so far. But if your life has been roughed up, if you have persecution in your life, if there's affliction in your life, the Bible says you will go further. You will be blessed. Affliction brings growth. That's why James chapter 1 verse 2 through 4 says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Persecution brings growth. I read this story to you some time ago. The church in China. True story. After hundreds of years of missionaries coming from the West to evangelize China, they yielded 800,000 converts. In the 1940s, after the Cultural Revolution, Western missionaries were kicked out of China and the church went underground. And they didn't have the resources, the surveys, they didn't have the plans to build and to grow the church. They were shut up in house churches in rural areas and under intense persecution. And many were killed and imprisoned and beaten because they love Jesus. And when the doors for China began to swing open again, people in the West began to wonder, how did those poor suffering church China people, how did they do? And how did they survive? We were wondering, will there be any Christians left at all? They didn't have the money, the methods, the media. They didn't have the programs. And they had been persecuted. Well, in the 80s, we were shocked. Because when studies were done by Westerners on China, they found that as many as 100 million believers had come to Christ in those few years. And we wondered how they did it. The church grew in China under persecution, being beaten, being tortured, and underground, the church grew. Affliction causes growth. Do not let anyone tell you anything else. And affliction, watch this, also causes holiness. Affliction causes holiness. Psalm 119 verse 67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Affliction causes holiness. I mean, think about this. When you're going through a trial, do you pray more? Do you pray? Okay, two of us do. That's, that's the, okay, that's good. When you're going through a trial, do you, people come to church more. When folks are going through trial, you know, I always know when there's trials in the church because it's packed. It's like everybody's going through trials or whatever. 9-11. Remember 9-11? I was amazed. The Sunday after 9-11, there was standing room only for three services. One month later, everything back to normal. 
When people are going through trials, it causes, brings about holiness. You pray more. You talk to God more. People go through trials and they start making God promises that they know they're not going to keep. Amen. We all done it. But, but, but affliction brings holiness. So we notice here in the text, it's a very important principle in verse 12. The more they were afflicted, the more they multiplied and grew. Now look at verse 15. If you're in verse 15, looking at it, say amen. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the names of one was Sifra, and the name of the other was Pua. Now listen. Y'all know where I'm going. If you're pregnant, you're having a little girl, don't name her pure. I'm just telling, I'm just trying to help you. Kids are brutal. At school, that poor child, you send her to school, kids will see her coming in and go, here come, pew. I mean, her name sounds like you're like coughing up a loogie or something. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> verse 16. And, and so these two wonderful women. Hey, let me tell you this here. Sifra, you taking notes, means beautiful. It means beautiful. So their names are kind of weird, but, but, but they have nice names. I mean, they have good meaning. Sifra means beautiful and pure means splendor, splendor or splendid. And so he, the king of Egypt, that would be who? Amis, remember? He said, when you, talking to the midwives, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, then you shall let her live. But the midwives in verse 17, what did they do, saints? They feared God and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but save the male children alive. And so the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwife said to Pharaoh, well, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and they give birth before the midwives come to them. Well, therefore, God, that's a great answer, isn't it? I love that. Therefore, God, I'm going to tell you about that in a second. Therefore, God, how much time I got? Oh, I'm doing good on time. Okay, good. Therefore, God, in verse 20, dealt well with the midwives hmm. and the people see it they did what multiplied and grew very mighty and so it was because the midwives feared god that he provided households for them and so pharaoh commanded all his people saying every son who is born you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive now stop right there give me your attention when pharaoh saw get this that the labors and the affliction wasn't working, he decided to cut down the birth rate. And so he told Pua and Sifra, he said, hey, when you guys see the midwives upon the stools, if it's a boy in Hebrew, snap their neck immediately, is what he said. He says, and if it's a girl, you shall let her live. Now, these are not the only midwives. Actually, there was a... Um, these, these two ladies would actually be like, they might be like the president of the midwifery association or something. I mean, they were, they were like the, the big kahunas of the midwives. 
And, and, and they had a lot of, there was a lot of midwives in those days. I mean, it was a very, very common thing and a, and a common job. Now, in those days, when women went to give birth, they would sit on a round stone, which was actually the cleanest place to be. They would sit on a round stone. You know, from time to time, I, somebody has a baby here at Calvary, and I'll have the opportunity to go over to Western Wake. Now, if you had your baby in Western Wake, that place is so nice. They, the birthing center, that place is like a five-star hotel. I'm like, man, I want to get pregnant and check into the hotel. I mean... <laughs> Women are kicked back, relaxed, they got nice beds, they got stuff. I mean, it's like really, really, they got everything you need in there. I mean, that place is really, really nice. But in the Bible, they didn't have anything like that. I mean, they, those women didn't have anything like that. Even today in Israel, as a matter of fact, as we travel, and we've seen this, and if you've been with us, you know, you can see these Bedouin communities and these Bedouin people. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.